from the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Bastry, Minnesota. New downloads, name, event, status, radio, with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210 and the Dirty Dog Dirty. How's it going everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy, joined by one of my buddies from CamelClutchBlog.com, Eric Arjula. How's it going, Eric? Oh, Eric, it's great. Uh, really uh, happy to be here and uh, really happy for all the success that, that you're having here on the podcast. I mean, it's always good to be in the main event, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. So, and uh, who better to be in the main event with me than, on a Saturday night, by the way, than Eric Arjulo? Hey, listen, uh, if we can't get four stars out of this one, then we ought to just hang up the boots. I was going to say, if we don't get four stars, I think we need to go, to, go talk to Dave Miltzer about that then. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, the influence of Saturday Night's Mid Event. Uh, what's yes. Your, what's your memories of Saturday Night's Mid Event? Oh, wow. Uh, memories. Where do I even start? You know, um, I was a, a young Eric Arjulo, uh when Saturday Night's Mid Event happened. And, you know, wrestling was so different back then because it was a part of pop culture. You know, it's like today, um, it's probably, you know, a, a somewhat of a part of pop culture today, but. Um, it's, you know, like you you talk about an iPhone or you talk about um, whatever is trending today. You know, wrestling was a, a part of the conversation. So it was it was everywhere. And, um, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event kind of came out of nowhere um, for me as a wrestling fan. Uh, you know, it's um, it was so cool because, you know, what was different, what was probably the biggest difference or well, one of the biggest differences about the time period back then as opposed to the time period today, it's like – you never got to see, you know, main event matches on TV. You never got to see matches between um, two two stars on TV. I mean, it was always squash matches. Every once in a while, you get um, a match between, you know, two uh, main eventers, two established guys. But usually, it would um, end in an angle, so you wouldn't get a finish. It would be a short match. It would be leading to something else. I mean, to see these matches. You had to go to the house shows. I mean, that was the only place you were going to see Hulk Hogan, Russell Terry Funk, or uh, King Kong Bundy, or, uh, you know, Kamala, or Paula Orndorff. I mean, you just were never going to see that on, on television. And, um, you know, so this whole idea of now you can watch these main event matches without having to, to leave your house and go down to the spectrum was just awesome. And what was what was really cool about it, too, was... Every once in a while, they put on these different kind of matches. Like even – I think it was the second Saturday Night's Main event. You had Hogan and uh, Nikolai Volkov. I think it was the second or the third one. Um, and the first one, you had Hogan and Bob Wharton you know, in the main event. Um, I mean those are matches that made sense, but yet you, you probably were never going to see it. I mean just the storylines and the way things were at the time. But yet they would put these these odd matches together, and, um, and it was very cool. And I remember – for me, um, being young, I mean, there was no way my parents were going to let me uh, stay up that late to to watch anything on television. Um, you know, uh, in, in that regard, I mean, we didn't have DVRs back then. I mean, uh, I don't even think we had a VCR at that time. So, um, you know, so so what I did was I just waited until my parents went to sleep, and uh, I'll never forget this. I remember my, my, I waited until my parents went to sleep. 
and just sat in my bed and watched the clock and just watched the clock. And when I got time for 1130, uh, I put on the TV in my room. I had the volume uh, all the way down and watched. Um, so I watched it with the volume off. And that's what I did for the first couple of them until I got a little older and I was able to stay up uh, a little later. But um, it was it was very cool. Like I said, just the whole idea of being able to see these big matches or even they weren't even big matches, even just matches like a Tito Santana against, uh, you know, a Greg Valentine. I don't think they ever wrestled in Saturday Night's Main Event, but even something like that or like the Bulldogs against uh, the Dream Team. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, you weren't going to see them anywhere but the house shows and now you could see them somewhere else uh, on TV for free. So it was it was a whole new dynamic. Um, you talked about Hulk and his popularity. Do you feel like Hogan's popularity helped out Saturday Night's Main Event? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, if, if if Hogan wasn't – if Hogan didn't have that popularity, uh, there would not be a Saturday Night's Main Event. I mean, what you have to um, think about is they were putting on Saturday Night's Main Event in place of Saturday Night Live. And I think I'm, – I'm a big SNL fan too, and I think – 85 was not one of the stronger years for SNL. So, it, you know, we're not like what we're talking about SNL in the 70s or, or uh, you know, a, a different time period. But, you know, it's still a big deal. And, I mean, without Hogan, it's funny. I recently did a blog on the Camel Clutch, and the blog was 10 guys who could have been WWE champion had Hogan not been available. And, you know, the premise all along that I put in that blog was, you know, the whole idea was, say – Vern Gagne wound up keeping Hogan. He wound up he wound up keeping him, or Hogan just stayed full time, or wound up going full time and staying in Japan. And Vince didn't have him, but Vince needed a champion. Who is he going to go with? And I came up with ten different guys, and I'd say probably the one that would have done done best um, at the, as far as helping WWE break through to a point probably would have been Dusty Rhodes. But even at that point, I don't think Dusty would have been able to do to do. I, I mean, I know for a fact Dusty wouldn't be able to do what Hogan Hogan did. Um, so yeah, so I mean, without Hogan, I, I'm I'm pretty confident they would not have had a WrestleMania one at that level, um, and they they probably would not have a Saturday Night's Main Event. Do you think Roddy Piper would have been a suitable replacement if Dusty or Hogan weren't around for it? No, I don't. Um, I think that Piper was the the the, the best heel that you could get um, in the time period that he was the best foil for the the top baby face. I think Piper was awesome. I think that without Piper and Hogan, I, I think I think Hogan without Piper would have struggled a little bit because you know I mean he had there were a lot of heels there at the time, but nobody I don't know had it like Piper did. And I'm a guy that grew up watching that 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 period, so you know I, I romanticize it a little more than than somebody else. But I mean, I love the magnificent Morocco. I mean, he's one of my favorite um, guys to watch of all time, and he was a top heel at the time. Um, and he probably, by de facto, would have been, I guess, the top heel. Um, and, well, I guess Orndorff probably would have would have been the guy. But even Orndorff, and, and Orndorff was great, and I loved Orndorff, and I think he's one of the one of the more underrated heels. But I think even Orndorff, you know, wouldn't have had it that it that Piper had um, to to you know to to work you know to work off of Hogan together. So I think Piper was was crucial. I think it was very important. But I think Piper coming in as a babyface. I don't think he would have had that same kind of appeal that Hogan did. I mean, he didn't have a look, an appealing look that Hogan had. He didn't have the same kind of babyface charisma at the time. I just think it would have been different. 
know, kind of talk, you know, kind of switch gears a little bit. Uh, I don't, well, it's like I watched uh, the first Saturday Night's Men event probably a week or so ago, and Cindy Lofter was also, it seemed like she was headlined, main evented in being part of WrestleMania 1 and first part of Saturday Night's Main event. Do you feel like Cindy Lauper helped wrestling out during that time frame? Oh, huge, huge, absolutely huge. Um, you know, it was, um, it was the link. It was the link that that the WWE didn't have between popular culture and uh, you know, and, and the WWF. And again, you know, going back to that time period, Cindy Lauper was a huge deal. I mean. I don't know who to compare her to today. I'm not a big fan of pop music, so I don't really know who's popular or, or who's not. Um, but, you know, it, it would be just like one of the popular artists today getting involved in wrestling for the first time. Now, if, if a popular if a popular um, pop music singer got involved today, it wouldn't be a, that big of a deal because people are used to it. But people weren't used to this back then. And Cyndi Lauper had a whole different fan base. You know what I mean? She had little girls, um, you know, and then in turn, the little girls had their moms and then families. So, I mean, she was such a, a, a critical bridge to, um, you know, to, to both of them, uh, you know, to, to both the WWE. And, um, I mean, it was a whole different fan base right there. I mean, think about it. You know, you had the spotlight were on the women, on Wendy Richter and everything. And they talk about that right today with UFC, how Ronda Rousey is such a big star because she brings in women and girls and housewives, you know, the, the, the fan base that would not be watching today if it were not for her. And that was the fan base that Cindy Lauper brought in. And those people weren't watching wrestling without Cindy Lauper before she was there. Maybe they watched it after, but she was a, a huge part of it. I know one thing I kind of wanted to ask you about since, you know, you would know better than I that, yeah, with the, at least with the first Saturday Night's Men event, the main event match with Hogan was second on the card. Do you know what, what are the reasons why they had Hogan or the main event match perched middle of the card instead of in the actual main event spot? Um, I'm going to guess, and this is just a, a total guess here, I'm going to guess because they wanted a strong rating for that quarter hour or that half hour between 11.30 or that 11.45 to midnight. Um I'm also going to guess that there was an overrun there. So I'm going to guess that Hogan's match was on between on the on you know the quarter hour leading into it somewhere in that quarter hour and then somewhere somewhere in the last quarter hour and then somewhere in the first quarter hour. So kind of like what they do now on Raw, you know, where they have the overruns, um, you know, come through. I'm going to guess Hogan was there so you can get the ratings bump from you know 11:45 to 12 and and 12 to 12:15. That's that's my my guess on it because I remember there was one where um, Hogan and Andre teamed up, and I think they opened the show. I think it was Hogan and Andre against Bundy and Stud from the Meadowlands, and I think they opened up the Saturday Night's Main Event. Again, I'm just going off the top of my head, but I kind of remember them opening it up, and I think it was more important to get ratings in that 11.30 half hour there than it was um, you know, uh, in, in later on in the show. Because putting on Hogan, you know, if you put Hogan on um, late, late on the show, you're putting him on at 12.15, um, and not a lot of people are going to stick around until twelve fifteen to see him. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you know, talk about Hogan and talk about Andre. I feel like if you look back at the Saturday Night's Main Event history, there's one match to me that stands out. It was a Hogan versus Andre match. I think it was on a Friday night for the WWE title with the Evil Twin uh, mm-hmm. spot. How big was that back? I think that was in eighty seven. How big or eighty eight? How big 88. was that in eighty eight? 
Yeah. No, I actually have a blog um, up on the site reviewing that specific show. I mean, it was huge. It's the um, it's the most watched wrestling match uh, in the history of uh, North America, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's 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 what it tells you. And you know, there's a lot more people on the planet now than there were in 1988. But yet, the WWE has never been able to come remotely close to um, grabbing those numbers. So, I mean, to tell you how, how big it was, I mean, everybody was watching. I think it was something like 30% of, of the homes. Um, I, I, I'm going to look it up right now because I'm sitting in front of my computer. Uh, but um, I, I know there uh, was a was a record here. So I, thought, the, I thought the rating was like 11.4, something outrageous like that. The live broadcast remains the most watched wrestling program in American television history uh, with 33 million viewers. Think about it today. I mean, you know, for the WWE Network, they got like 750,000, okay? For the largest WrestleMania, I believe their buy rate was 1.5 million. This show had 33 million people watching it. I mean, that's just enormous when you when you um, put it in that context. What was it about Hogan and Andre back in '88 that made that many people want to tune in to watch the rematch from WrestleMania three? Well, you know the the, the match at WrestleMania three was legendary. Um, I, you know, I mean, it really was. It really was, and still is, the biggest match of my lifetime as a wrestling fan. Um, it was something that, again, transcended into popular culture. You know, I mean, even people that weren't wrestling fans knew about Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. The other thing, too, that um, should be noted is that this was in prime time, if, if, uh, you know, if I'm right. I believe this aired um, at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock. It was either from 8 to 9 or 10 to 11. So, you know, that's a whole different audience right there as well. Um, and you also had a stacked show, too. You had Randy Savage on the show against the Honky Tonk Man. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you, you had um, – there was, a, you know, there, there, was, there was some major star power on the show. But, you know, I mean, for me to tell you exactly what it was that um, drew them – well, you know, you also had Ted DiBiase, who is now um, red hot as a heel. He was now interjected into this feud where DiBiase wasn't even a part of it um, at WrestleMania three, So that's a whole new dynamic as well. And uh, I know you kind of mentioned it before, but how can WWE now do now, especially with the WWE Network, how can they recapture their popularity that they had, for instance, back in February of 88 when Hogan and, Hogan and uh, Andre had the rematch? Uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, you know what I mean? Even, even when Stone Cold Steve Austin was um what was at his height even when the rock was at his height you know um two different periods they still were never to able to uh get 33 million people to tune in to watch um i don't think it's gonna happen i think the i think the product's too watered down here's the other thing too you know i take into consideration again at, at this time the only way you could see these big time matches was to go to the house shows sure they had pay-per-view in 1988 but it was uh, two, three times a year. I think it was Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, uh, four times a year. Survivor Series, SummerSlam. You know, it was it was four times a year, um, and you had to pay to see that. Um, you know, and you had uh, two hours of television. You know, a week you had Wrestling Challenge and uh, uh, Wrestling All Star Wrestling or, or Wrestling WWE Superstars. You know, I think I think they uh, went to Superstars by this time. So you know, you had two hours of television, all squash matches. 
You only had four pay-per-views a year, which you had to pay for. Um, and you had to go to the house to see it. And the other thing, too, is they never did a Hogan-Andre series at the house shows um, after WrestleMania. You know, they did tag matches. They did um, Hogan and Bigelow against uh, DiBiase and Andre. I mean, they, they, that, that came here to Philly. Um, they did the match at SummerSlam with Savage and Hogan against DiBiase and, and Andre. But they never did Hogan and Andre singles. So you kept that match off for, you know, almost a year. So, I mean, you know, for them to do that today, you'd have to have two, you know, huge stars. You'd have to keep them apart, which they can't keep people apart for more than a week anymore. And you'd have to have less television. And you'd have to turn the the shows back into all squash matches because by the time these guys clashed, you want it to be special. You want it to be something different, something you haven't seen. Whereas today, you know – I mean, how many times have we seen, uh, you know, uh, Orton and, and Cena, you know, and, and the, those kind of matches? So, uh, I mean, we've already seen Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose several times. We've already seen Dean Ambrose and Randy Orton on, on TV. Um, so I think Ambrose and Rollins was on free TV, too. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just I don't think it's ever going to happen. Not not in this lifetime. So you feel like the today's product is overexposed compared to back in 85, 88? You know, overexposed is... Overexposed is a tricky word because. Or let, I th- me, let me re. I guess let me reword that. I guess I say re- oversaturated. Yeah, oversaturated. Yeah. Yeah, I would say oversaturated because because the product was probably more exposed back in '88 than it is now. I would certainly say it's oversaturated today. Um, you know, it's a different it's a different business. You know, WWE they're in the business now of satisfying shareholders, and when shareholders can can you know we, we, you can't tell shareholders that you're not going to take another extra two hours of TV a week and give them higher dividends. I mean, you're just, you just can't do that. Um, and you can't do it often. So it's a different environment. It's totally overexposed today. I, I absolutely think so. And it's watered down. Um, it's overexposed and watered down. Okay. Well, we might as well wrap it up for the week. Uh, Eric, do you have any, anything to plug for the episode? Oh, sure. Um, well, you can always catch my musings um, and Eric as well from time to time over at CamelClutchBlog.com. It's CamelClutchBlog.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at CamelClutchBlog and also check out my old uh, podcast and archived interviews uh, over at ProWrestlingRadio.com. Uh, listeners, we'll be right back. Stand by. And we're back from the interview with Eric Gargiulo. Guys, thank you for listening. I also want to thank Eric for coming on once again. It was fun to reconnect with him and chat with him for a little bit about professional wrestling. And yeah, thank you guys for listening to our interview with Eric Orjulo. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash main event status radio. That's all one word. Main event or facebook.com backslash main event status radio. Follow us on Twitter for Beverly Hills at Beverly Hills MES for me at Dirty Dog MES. That's dog as in T A W G at Dirty Dog MES. You can listen to us on our website at maineventstatus.com. That's maineventstatus.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes. You know, go out to the where you need to do to uh, the, search us out on the library or whatever. Yeah, Main Event Status Radio, and we'll pop up. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Eric Gargiulo, for joining us. We'll talk to you guys after the matches.